continuation of our discussion on state principles and state policies under Article 2 of the Constitution. Um, let's just have a recap of what we've discussed so far. And we have discussed the nature and character of the state principles and state policies. And uh, we have also discussed uh, on uh, the proper interpretation of uh, the uh, principles and state policies as being uh, generally non-self-executing except for uh, uh, one uh, highlight uh, which is on the right to health and the right to health ecology which according to the case of Apostle versus Pactoran uh, is uh, a self-executive provision of the Constitution. And uh, we also discussed um, uh, Republicanism uh, under Article 2, uh, Section 3, some of its limits, uh, also some uh, provisions related to Republicanism on suffrage, uh, qualifications, uh, in terms of office of uh, members of Congress, the President and the Vice President, and uh, for local government units, commission and elections, as well as uh, the Initiative and Referendum Act. Now, uh, the last time we also discussed the incorporation clause, and uh, we have some cases that I assigned to you for reading. That is a case of Tom versus Greece, one of the earliest cases uh, decided uh, pertaining to the incorporation clause. We also discussed uh, the nature of international law and what is that type of international law uh, that is deemed automatically incorporated into our domestic law. And that's a general accepted principle of international law uh, being part of the law of the land. Now, I have posted in uh, Blackboard uh, new material pertaining to some of the more important uh, state policy and I mentioned to you last time that we are going to discuss uh, the separation of church and state which you will find in section 6 I have discussed that uh, previously the separation of church and state shall be inviolable now, uh, there is a bar question given in 2017 about this state policy and uh, that was part of my posting in Blackboard. You need to go back to your past lessons before attempting to answer uh, that bar question that I uh, posted. And you need also to review the legal history of the principle as I uh, discussed before, the case of Estrada versus Escritor, which is an end bank case decided on August 4, 2003. Right? And uh, we emphasized the last time that the purpose of the religion clauses, specifically on the non-establishment clause of the Constitution, is to ultimately protect religious freedom of every individual, of every citizen. In other words, the non-establishment clause is just a tool of the religious freedom under the uh, Bill of Rights. 
In other words, the state is mandated by the Constitution to exercise the neutrality principle. In other words, it should not favor any particular religion, sect, or denomination. And it should not compel anyone to practice any particular belief in favor of a particular religion, sect, or denomination. Because it will infringe on the freedom of religion or the religious freedom. Now we have stated also, and this is part of our summary, uh, the principle of complementarity. In other words, uh, uh, the uh, right of the state uh, and also the right of uh, uh, religious freedom, the free exercise of religion, they are complementary. They do not cancel each other out. Right? We also discussed the benevolent neutrality approach as being the one that's adopted by the Supreme Court in looking into whether or not uh, a particular uh, claim infringes on uh, uh, the religious freedom. Normally, the Supreme Court, according to the benevolent uh, neutrality approach, the Supreme Court would normally favor uh, the assertion of religious freedom. Because it said that in the absence of legislation granting exemption from a law of general applicability, the court can even carve out an exemption when the religious clauses justify it. it the Supreme Court will always favor, in case of doubt, will always favor uh, religious freedom. And of course, it will always uh, strictly rule against the establishment of religion. Now, uh, as we have said before, we will discuss later the exercise of religious freedom when we discuss the Bill of Rights. But as I said, at this point, it is important uh, uh, for you to have uh, in mind already the various provisions of the Constitution related to the principle of separation of church and state. I have posted that blackboard also. So be very mindful of those uh, provisions. Right? There are exceptions to the separation of church and state. Now I've also uh, given you the list of the provisions of the Constitution that uh, tells us about those exceptions. So now, tonight, we are going to discuss also another important state policy and that is about uh, just and dynamic social order and this is provided for in section 9 section 9 says the state shall promote a just and dynamic social order that will ensure the prosperity and independence of the nation and free the people from poverty through policies that provide adequate social services, promote full employment, a rising standard of living, and an improved quality of life for all. What is it that you know uh, in all of these uh, terminologies used here? Uh, there is, of course, the first part, uh, the just and dynamic social order, but of course, the consideration the ultimate consideration of, of, of this one 
is freedom from poverty okay this is economic this is state policy in other words uh, deals with economic upliftment and to be able to have that there has to be a tool and the tool is a just and dynamic social order just as it is in uh, uh, religious clauses under the constitution the tool there was the non-establishment clause and what it serves is the freedom of religion now in this particular section 9 the ultimate goal is to free the people from poverty and not only that to have an improved quality of life for all this emphasizes that not everything is about money right uh, there is a way to uplift one from poverty and uh, uh, to measure quality of life for all in its totality. And the tools are there, provided for. Okay, There has to be policies that provide for adequate social services, promotion of full employment. Right? Now, social services pertains to the basic services mandated uh, to be given by the government to the citizens all right now this policy is usually tied up with economic development as we said now the role of the private sector uh, is obvious in this policy to bring about economic opportunities for everyone especially the basic sectors who are mostly underprivileged now to be able to understand which are the basic sectors I am referring to here the National Anti-Poverty Commission, uh, with which I've worked with uh, for several years when I was in the national government, there are 14 basic sectors. And uh, you might be interested in knowing what are these basic sectors that are uh, mostly considered to be underprivileged sectors of the society. Number one, you have the artisanal fisher folk. Right. The artisanal fisher folk, we encountered that um, in uh, natural resources law when we, discuss, we discussed fishery fisheries code. The second sector is the farmers and landless rural workers. The third one is the urban poor sector. Fourth, indigenous peoples. Five, formal labor and migrant workers. Six, workers in the informal sector. Seven, women. The eighth is children. Nine, youth and students. Tenth sector is senior citizens. Eleventh, persons with disabilities. Twelve, victims of disasters and calamities. Thirteenth, non-government organizations, NGOs. And the fourteenth and last, cooperatives. Now, um, to be able to do the responsibility of the state of delivering social services, the Constitution mandated the adoption of social justice as an overarching principle and also the concept, the legal concept of distributive justice as a tool to implement it in almost all areas of human life that may require the exercise of parents patria i'm sure that you do remember parents patria i need not uh, 
will be fine if in detail with you. This is only a few class. Now, that if the state does not in any way intervene, that it may result in an individual or of a segment of society being rendered incapacitated to further improve himself, herself or themselves, making it difficult for them, for these individuals or sectors, to continue being economic agents. Alright? Eventually, it will cause more strain in the economy as their helplessness would turn into complete dependency on welfare programs of the state. So in other words, prevention is better than cure. This is the essence of this one. Why the state has to intervene early on, especially for the underprivileged classes, to avoid a much greater uh, loss by timely intervening in difficult financial conditions and in the delivery of timely and sufficient basic services, the state is able to stimulate the affected individual or sector into becoming an asset again, right? Now, this is what the Supreme Court said in the early case of Marine Radio Communications Association of the Philippines versus Reyes, which was decided in 1990. The citation will be posted in Blackboard. Now, according to the Supreme Court, the duty of the state is preeminently to serve the people and so also to promote a just and dynamic social order through policies that provide adequate social services. This is an echo of the policy, right? Now, the objectives of government, as expressed in the Charter, are, among uh, other things, a more equitable distribution of opportunities, income, and wealth, and a sustained increase in the amount of goods and services as, uh, produced by the nation for the benefit of the people. Now, the Supreme Court is referring to another article of the Constitution which is in Article 12, Section 1. Alright? And also, in Section 6 of the same Article 12, the use of property bears a social function, and all economic agents shall contribute to the common good. Individuals and private groups, including corporations, cooperatives, and similar collective organizations, shall have the right to own, establish, etc., etc. Now, this is um, uh, demonstrative of distributive justice. Alright? Economic agent, use of property, even by the private sector, shall be subject to a social function or social duty. No. Note here that the requirements of social justice and the necessity for a redistribution of the national wealth and economic opportunity find in fact a greater emphasis in the 1987 constitution that's what the supreme court said okay. our labor laws are also replete with provisions on social justice take for example the labor code it provides in article 3 the Declaration of Basic Policy. The state shall afford protection to labor, promote full employment, ensure equal work opportunities regardless of sex, race, or creed, 
and regulate the relations between workers and employers. The state shall assure the rights of workers to self-organization, collective bargaining, security of tenure, and just and humane conditions of work. Note here that in Article 3, in ensuring that there is uh, sufficient protection to labor, remember that uh, uh, in the equation of things, uh, there is a balancing act that the state is doing here between the employer and the employee. And the measure is the financial power or capacity of each one of them. The employer is necessarily uh, have more financial capacity. The employees have less. So, in case of uh, uh, any doubt, whether or not the claim of a particular employee is justified or not, the state is mandated to interpret and to favor the employees. Why? Because of distributive justice. Right? In case of doubt, the scales of justice will favor the employee. Now note here also, this article 3 of the labor code that the rights of women is also considered there is a state policy on women right equality equal opportunities for for women is also provided for under the state policy now here regardless of sex race or creed there shall be equality in opportunity okay so uh, women are also considered here. The state policy straddles also the area of agrarian reform and land use. Now, to be able to uh, understand this uh, aspect, you have to read the case of Department of Agrarian Reform versus Woodland Agro-Development Incorporated decided by the Supreme Court in 2015. What did the Supreme Court say in this case? The policy of the law is to pursue a comprehensive agrarian reform program that shall give highest consideration to the welfare of landless farmers and farm workers to promote social justice. Very clearly, uh, very clearly the Supreme Court said social justice. And then move the nation toward sound rural development and industrialization. Remember that there is also another state policy on the development of uh, on the sound rural development. Okay, and to continue uh, on the pronouncement of the Supreme Court, establish owner cultivatorship of economic sized farms as the basis of Philippine agriculture. Economic sized farms sustainable meaning to say it should be profitable for this underprivileged farmer sector all right there has to be a way to compute whether or not investing in agriculture for such size as might be may be determined by the dar would reap them benefits or profits you know size matters in this case to this end, a more equitable equitable distribution, not here, equitable distribution and ownership of land 
shall be undertaken with due regard to the rights also of landowners to just compensation and to the ecological needs of the nation. To provide farmers and farm workers with the opportunity to enhance their dignity and improve the quality of their lives through greater productivity of agricultural lands. Right? So this is a very good example, very good echo of the state policy. You have to read the whole articles, by the way, of Article 12 on National Economy and Patrimony, Article 13, and Article 14 of the Constitution to be able to capture the operative context of the state policy. Now, Article 13 includes the following. The social justice and human rights, labor, agrarian and natural resources reform, urban land reform and housing, health, women, role and rights of people's organizations, and then, of course, human rights. In other words, all these eight elements in Article 13, these are all economic factors that will raise the quality of life of the people. And note, I would like to pay particular attention to human rights being considered also as an economic element in the bringing about of the desired quality of life of people. Now, we will discuss in much more detail the human rights aspect of, uh, of, of this policy when we go to the Bill of Rights, right? Now, Article 14, I mentioned uh, for your reading, includes education, language, science and technology, arts and culture, and sports. Are they important in bringing about that high level of quality of life of the people? Of course. You have a good education, you will have greater opportunities. You have a, 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 a good language education, uh, you have a good command of your language there is, uh, that's attuned also to uh, the uh, global environment, then they will have, you will have a greater opportunity for employment. Science and technology, of course. You have that uh, good science and technology uh, program for the country, you will have better manufacturing, for example. You will have better industrialization, both in the countryside and also in the urban areas. Uh, our way of life right now, uh, by the way, is hugely, hugely influenced by science and technology. Our online learning, all right? If we do not have a good science and technology program, our technology infrastructure will not be able to serve us in this pandemic times. So this is very important in not just in the maintenance of our uh, quality of life, but also in the development of it. We are in uncharted waters, and science and technology plays now a very important role in the development of a new track towards that future. And hopefully that future will really bring us good fortunes. Sports, arts and culture, these, these are important in the maintenance of the balance of health. Arts and culture is important in, main, in, 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 in uh, maintaining the bond of the people, right? And uh, a, a uh, better bonding of uh, uh, society 
means that we could all work together more, much more efficiently. Sports, good for our health, right? This policy goes more than economic considerations, by the way. We could find them in areas also of maintenance of public order, as the Supreme Court cited uh, this state policy in upholding the very co- the constitutionality of the very controversial Article 202 of the Revised Penal Code. What is Article 202? Vagrancy, okay, the constitutionality of which was questioned for the first time in the case of People versus Siton decided by the Supreme Court September 18, 2009. What did the Supreme Court say? Supreme Court said that uh, the uh, let me read from my notes the streets must be protected our people should never dread having to climb them each day or else we can never say that we have performed our task to our brothers and sisters we must rid the streets of the scourge of humanity and restore order peace civility decency and morality in them this is exactly why we have public order laws to which article 202 belongs these laws were crafted to maintain minimum standards of decency morality and civility in human society these laws may be traced all the way back to ancient times and today they have also come to be associated with the struggle to improve the citizens quality of life which is guaranteed by our constitution all right there is an implication here about the uh, achievement of the quality of life and public order is a part of the process of achieving that high standard of quality of life well there's no question about it but personally i have serious doubts on the uh, efficiency or efficacy of the vagrancy law anti-vagrancy law under the revised penal code to be a uh, uh, good tool to really contribute the maintenance of public order that will bring about a uh, high standard of living all right uh, but that's on the social uh, discussion side of it right we will not delve much on that uh, unless you have questions then you can uh, ask me questions on that matter uh, there is also the criminal aspect uh, involved here but we will not discuss that um, but the Supreme Court said in terms of public order as being contributory to uh, uh, the raising of the quality of life vagrancy must not be so lightly treated as to be considered constitutionally offensive it is a public order crime which punishes persons for conducting themselves at a certain place and time which orderly society finds unusual under such conditions that are repugnant and outrageous to the common standards and norms of decency etc etc right i don't want to continue reading this why personally i am uh, offended well i am in disagreement uh people uh, the, 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 the social status of people the economic status of people is an issue also here right. why do we have a lot of uh, thievery? why do we have a lot of robberies 
nowadays during the time of pandemic, why do we have a lot of uh, crimes against property? People are hungry. People are poor. People are trying to survive. Then the government needs to intervene. If the people are uh, economically capacitated, studies say that there is less crimes against property. So in other words, the vacancy law does not address the root of the problem of society. But anyway, that's another matter. That uh, will be a proper subject of legislation. Right? Now, the state policy could also reach the needs of those that are affected by national emergencies. For example, natural and man-made disasters. Look, when you read the provisions of Republic Act 11469, what is this law? This is the Bayanihan to Heal as One Act. The state had to declare a state of national emergency because of COVID-19. And in so doing, had to use the state policy here to be able to, among others, give assistance in the provision of basic necessities to families and individuals, especially indigents and their families. That is in section uh, in the section on declaration of policy. Okay. Now let's go to the next policy, state policy, education, and you can find that in section 17 of Article 2. The state shall give priority to education, science and technology, arts, culture, and sports to foster patriotism and nationalism, accelerate social progress, and promote total human liberation and development. Remember that we have discussed uh, before that education is part of that social justice, distributive justice, raising the standard of living of the people. All right. You have to read section 17 uh, in relation to uh, these provisions. Number one, you have Article 6, Section 28 under the Legislative Department. Uh, this is in connection with the tax exemption of charitable institutions, churches, and parsonages, convents, etc. Educational, uh, uh, those uh, institutions that are for educational purposes shall be exempt from taxation. Why? Value for value. As we said before, raising the quality of education of the people. Uh, this is an encouragement, by the way, by the state for institutions to enter or invest into educational, uh, uh, into the educational business. Alright? Now, having that greater investment in education means that we will be uh, uh, empowering our people to be more productive. With education, people get productive. They, they, they get productive. Okay? So they become better economic agents. And because of that expansion of productivity, capacity, the state gets value for it on a macro level okay now the exemption from taxation is the trade-off to be able to encourage these institutions to invest and also because it has been found that the quality of education 
uh, rendered in institutions run by religious organizations, for example, have a better quality. They have better quality of teaching. They have a better quality of uh, managing the institution. Okay? Now, in uh, relation again to education, you have to read Article 10, Section 20, sub, uh, Section 7, and also Article 13, Section 18. Now, for Article 13, Section 18, uh, you will find here, this is about the Commission on Human Rights, giving the CHR, among others, the power to establish a continuing program of research, education, education, and information to enhance respect for the primacy of human rights. Now, we mentioned a while ago that human rights is an economic factor. So, the empowerment of the CHR to establish an educational program for human rights is contributory to the overall well-being of the people. Alright? Now, another provision of the Constitution on Education is Article 14, Sections 1 to 5, also Section 10, and Section 19. Now, there is mention in the Constitution the matter of academic freedom. Academic freedom is one of the most controversial subjects under the state policy on education. And you could find academic freedom in only one provision of the Constitution expressly. And that's in Article 14, Section 5. Alright? It says, Academic freedom shall be enjoyed in all institutions of higher learning. It's only in higher learning institutions that academic freedom is expressly recognized. Now, you have to read the following cases to be able again to refresh your memory on academic freedom. The case of first-class cadet Aldrin Kudia uh, of the TMA versus the superintendent of PMA. This was decided fairly recently, in 2015. And the important part of the decision of the Supreme Court is that no mandamus may issue when academic freedom is involved. Alright? So the Supreme Court said, with respect to the prayer directing the PMA to restore Cadet Kudia's rights and entitlements as a full-fledged graduating cadet, including his diploma, awards, and commission as a new Philippine Navy and sign, the same cannot be granted in a petition for mandamus on the basis of academic freedom, which the Supreme Court said discussed in much more detail. Now, suffice it to say at this point that these matters are within the ambit of or encompassed by the right of academic freedom. Okay? Certainly, mandamus is never issued in doubtful cases. It cannot be availed against an official or government agency whose duty requires the exercise of discretion or judgment. Remember, in your remedial law, Cost of action for mandamus, one of the essential elements is that 
the duty, there has to be a duty on the part of the official concerned. Now, that duty must be a mandatory duty, not a discretionary duty. There must be no exercise of discretion. It should be ministerial. If it is not ministerial duty, no mandamus. Alright? Academic freedom has a lot to do with discretion. Also read the case of Son versus University of Santo Tomas, decided in 2018. The Supreme Court favorably considered the argument of UST on the breadth of academic freedom. Alright? And the Supreme Court said, mentioned the essential freedoms that are subsumed in the term academic freedom and that academic freedom encompasses the freedom to determine for itself on academic grounds number one who may teach number two what may be taught number three how it shall be taught and number four who may be admitted to study that is the breath of academic freedom that an institution of higher learning uh, has the discretion of determining who may teach, what may be taught, how it shall be taught, and who may be admitted to study. Okay? It is the prerogative of the school to set high standards of efficiency for its teachers since quality education is a mandate of the Constitution. As long as the standards fixed are reasonable and not arbitrary, courts are not our liberty to set them aside. This is a case of termination of a teacher. The authority to choose whom to hire is likewise covered and protected by its management prerogative. The right of an employer to regulate all aspects of employment, hiring, freedom to prescribe work assignments, working methods, process to be followed, regulation regarding transfer of employees, supervision of work, layoff, discipline, dismissal, and recall of workers. These are all within management prerogative, and this is institutional academic freedom. It's part of right? Now, you must also read the case of Camacho versus Corresis Jr. decided in 2002. And what is the importance of this case? The Supreme Court enumerated the two tiers or levels or classification of academic freedom. There are two. Number one, you have the... Uh, that of, academic, of the academic institution and that of the teacher's academic freedom. Institutional academic freedom, the first one, includes the right of the school or college to determine for itself its aims and objectives and the methods on how best to attain them, free from outside coercion or interference, save possibly when the overriding public welfare calls for some restraint. It encompasses the freedom to determine for itself on academic grounds who may teach, what may be taught, and who may be admitted to study. The right of the school to confirm and validate the teaching method, 
of the employee concerned here is at once apparent in third freedom how it shall be taught. Now, in so for us, the academic freedom of a faculty member, academic freedom accords a faculty member the right to pursue his studies in his particular specialty. It is defined as a right claimed by the accredited educator as teacher and as investigator to interpret his findings and to communicate his conclusions without being subjected to any interference molestation or penalty because these conclusions are unacceptable to some constituted authority within or beyond the institution right so these are the two tiers of academic freedom institutional and the teachers academic freedom Right. I hope that uh, you got the citations of the cases. But anyway, I'm going to post that. The rest of the state policies will be discussed later alongside the next topics where they may be relevant. Alright. Uh, we just discussed the more important state policies for your review. Our discussion on state principles and state policies for this week is now ended. And uh, I will give you uh, a summary of our discussion in Blackboard and uh, give you additional cases for your readings. I will also ask you some evaluation questions. Alright, so good night and take care. Stay safe and healthy all the time. By the way, let's thank the Lord for uh, healing uh, your classmates other law students got infected with COVID-19. Uh, some of them have been released already from the quarantine facilities. Let's thank the Lord for that. Uh, no one was uh, seriously uh, inflicted by uh, by this COVID-19. So thank you and good night.